0: The series is called Live Life, and, and today's, today's uh, message is called Love and Marriage. So I want you to um, turn with me to Genesis uh, chapter 2, verse 15. Are you with me? Say amen if you can hear me in the back there, all right? Amen. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. All right, those two words, dress and keep, means to uh, work and to guard. So uh, I admonish men of God, every chance I get, that your calling, your commission is to get a job and watch out for your family. Yes. Amen. There, that's something that, that nobody can take your place. Now, I know there's a lot of single women sometimes in church life and in, in the culture uh, and, uh, and, and not coming against any single, single moms out there. Not at all. I admire a woman that uh, uh, takes care of business, you know, and, and some of them are working t- a couple of jobs and, and getting kids uh, up for school and staying up late, getting up early, taking care of business, not coming against a single mom at all. But I bet you uh, lunch today that any single mom you know, if she had her druthers, there's, there was a man that should have stepped up and, and taken care of business here some while ago. Amen. Can you say amen, women? All right. But the man, uh, the God called the man to work, and to guard this garden of blessing that was given to, uh, that was given to mankind. And uh, I think the men in the room, I think we heartily embrace that challenge. Do we not, gentlemen? Amen. We can embrace that, right? Amen. All right. So keep reading here. And it says in verse 16, The Lord God commanded the man and said, Of every tree of the garden, thou mayest freely eat, uh, but of the tree of the... Uh, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that you eat that man, you're going to die, bro. And the Lord God said, it's not good for you to be alone. Now, I, I uh, some of you know my story. I was uh, married uh, when I was 20 years old. Uh, madly head over heels in love with a, with a young lady that I met at, uh, in Boulder, Colorado. On the Pearl Street Mall. And uh, that lasted about six and a half or seven years. Something like that. And, uh, and that was it. That was it. And I, I don't really know, you know... What happens sometimes, I think, am I the only one, but sometimes it's just, it's just over. And so uh, I went through a, a divorce. It was not, not my choosing, not trying to, you know, beat the drum here or nothing today, but it, it didn't want a divorce, wanted to stay, wanted to raise a family. We had two daughters, um, and uh, for 11 years, uh, I was single. And I met Cindy probably about the eighth of those 11 years. And we became friends over the next couple of years. And after being friends with Cindy for a couple of years, see, I went through a long period where I, I had to get over some stuff. And the most of the stuff I had to get over was, was me, right? I, you know, it's, it's, it's sad. It's pitiful, really, if you think about it, that I didn't know anything about marriage until I went through a divorce. I figured if I just showed up, you know, on Friday night and brought her my paycheck, didn't slap her around, we, everything was going to work all right. You know, I mean, uh, <laughs> I figured that would work, you know, and it just did, you know, it, but a woman needs more than that. Uh, a woman needs more than that. Um, God created us to have needs for one another, and I know sometimes in the culture, uh, uh, it seems like some of us are taught that, you know, to need another person, there's something wrong with you. You should be able to, you know, you don't need no woman, or you don't need no man, huh? woo we is quiet in here. We're messing with people's business today. Right, but God created us with certain needs, and we fulfill one another. Now, it is somewhat of a mystery in the kingdom of God that we need one another. But on the other hand, we we must find our fulfillment in Christ before we can find that partner that meets those other unmet needs in our lives. Absolutely. Somewhat of a mystery, I uh, will admit. But uh, it, it's kind of a, a almost a play on words. Somewhat of a mystery, it's like uh, the old uh, cup and a cup and a cup thing. I'm going to show you that today. All right, got these cups up here. You see. So here's, you got two cups, right? Now that one's in that one, right? But what if you could put that one in that one while this one was at, in that one and that one was still in, in this one? Boy, all right, all right, I'm going to take two baths today. All right. Don't even stink yet. All right. I don't think so. All right. So, so this one's in that one while that one's in this one. It's a mystery. It's hard to explain. It's really hard to demonstrate, but that's what it's like to be in Christ, but he's in you. Where is Jesus right now? Anybody? Anybody? Where is Jesus? He's in me. If you, you ever asked Jesus, come into my heart? Well, if you haven't, this would be a good time. Close your eyes, put your hand on your heart, bow your head, and say, Jesus, come into my heart. I'll serve you all the days of my life. I believe you've been raised from the dead. In Jesus' name, amen. Something, something powerful, something supernatural happens when you pray that prayer. Simple prayer. He's, he's been waiting at the door knocking all these years, you know. And when he comes into your life. But there's 130 or so scriptures in the New Testament that say that he's in you. But you're, he's, but you're in him. But he's in you. It's a mystery. And that's somewhat how marriage is too. The Bible uh, uh, shows a clear parallel between the mystery of marriage and the mystery of Christ and the church. You can see that in Ephesians chapter 5. If we get to that today, don't know if we will or not. But take some time and look at that when you get a chance. And it's just some basic building blocks on how to live Life. Say, live life. live life. Say, teach me, Lord, teach me how, to how to live. Praise the Lord. All right. And the Lord God said, it's not good for this fellow to be alone. Look at you, man. You need help. I will make him and help meet for him. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to read today if I can see this thing. The print is incredibly small. And we have uh, stage lighting here, which makes me look wonderful. But, uh, you know, the pages in here. Okay, look, at that, that's better. All right. Have you ever wondered what that meant? I will make him, in the King James it says, I will make him and help meet for him. You ever wonder what that really means? You know, it's some Elizabethan English. It's about 500 year old language. And we don't, just don't talk that way anymore. But basically he's saying this man needs help. It's not good for him to be alone. I'm going to send him a complimentary person. A complimentary person. Not a competitive person. Not somebody to compete with him for dominance, but somebody to complement him. Amen. Praise the Lord. Say amen. amen. All right. So here's what the sages, the ancient Hebrew sages say about this verse here. A helper corresponds to him. A helper, literally a helper against him. Now, I'm going to get into some deep water here today that I've gotten in a little bit of trouble for a time or two, just just teaching the Bible. I've had certain individuals, uh, uh, you know, uh, argue with me a little bit and say, I I really don't like that, but I'm just teaching the Bible, okay? And sometimes I think we men, if we aren't secure enough in our manhood, it can be... um, It can be difficult to deal with a strong woman. Boy, it's quiet in here. I can hear a pin drop in here. I can hear hear your smartphone crackling up in here all right today. But here's the thing, y'all. Men, you want a strong woman. Because what you're going to face is is the warfare of life. You need a partner in life that, that makes you stronger, that makes you better. And I thank God that's what I found when I met Cindy. Amen. You need somebody that's going to make you stronger. Now, that, that doesn't mean she placates you all the time. I can hear the air conditioning or something running in here. That's how quiet it is in here. Amen. Yeah, that is, cool. is it cool enough in here for you? Let's keep reading the ancient sages here and see if they get me out of trouble or get me deeper in here. If uh, liter- The literal Hebrew here means a helper against him. That's the literal Hebrew. Now I'm going to make a statement. Men, God did not give you a woman for you to shove around, to, to dominate, to domineer, to push around. God gave you an equal that has agreed To live under your authority. And here's the facts, gentlemen. She probably doesn't need you anymore. Now, now, a thousand years ago or even a hundred years ago, things were different. But nowadays, if you look at it statistically, women are better educated than men. I mean, you know, my wife has more education than I do. (laughs) There's the, statistically there's more women graduating from university today than, than there are men praise the Lord and it's creating somewhat of a crisis in our, in our culture because some of the women have taken the bait and are sipping the Kool-Aid thinking I, don't, I really don't need no, no fur-bearing man up in here I can already take care of myself now, see, it's a two-edged sword, women, because you need to be strong enough to where you don't huh, go for the first fool that shows up. You know, I just have a heart for, teen, for these young girls, these teenage girls. I want to help you. When I see a, a teenage girl that's coming to church until she meets a boy. And then she stops coming to church cuz of some boy. That stirs something in me. Mhm. Let me tell you something, boys and girls, listen to me very carefully. If you, if they won't bring if you can't bring them to church, hmm, that's a problem. If they won't go to church with you, it's going to be if you ever do hook up with them, you're going to have to go the way they're going. And they're going the wrong way. Well, I love you. Now, I'm going to have to help you. I'm going to have to admonish you and teach you the Bible here. It's, it's, it's just, it's totally against the culture. Let me continue reading here. If the man is worthy, the woman will be a helper. If he is unworthy, she will be against him. That's one of the, what one of the rabbis said hundreds of years ago. Many have noted that the ideal marriage is not necessarily one of total agreement in all matters. And, all, and everybody said amen. You know, here's the thing. My, my, my first wife, I mean, God bless her. I, I, I'm not mad at her. But she would say things like, we just have nothing in common. Which, if you think about it, is pretty dumb, I mean, you know. Because we had a lot in common, right? We both had, you know, two eyes and two hands. Both (laughs) lived in Colorado, right? We both had hair on the top of our head, you know, at at that time. Right? We had two kids in common. We had a house in common. We had a car in common. We had a lot in common. We liked some of the same food, the same music. So if you're going to sit here and say, we just had nothing in common, you're not being very creative, for one thing. But on the other hand... <clears throat> I don't want to be married to somebody that's exactly like me, Jack. I got enough of that. I want somebody that's opuesta de meal. <laughs> I want somebody that's different. Right? Can I get an amen here? Can you hear me way back there in the back, in those back rows back there? Can you all hear me? No, I want somebody that's opposite of me. I mean, come on. I mean, that makes life sweet. That makes life spicy when you're not always agreeing about everything. And the problem is, is most of us are so immature, so insecure, so carnal, that at the first hint of disagreement, we think that's the end of the world. Oh, my God, what am I going to do? Well, why don't you pray? Why don't you recognize that God puts opposites together? It's kind of like the divine comedy, you know? He gives us this, this 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 attraction for one another that is virtually irresistible. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You gotta be with that person. I mean, bless God, it's right now. I got to be with you. And then, once you <laughs> get together, you wake up one day and you say. Who are you? <laughs> Amen? Oh, me and Cindy had some fun with this one, didn't we, Cindy? Uh, we're still having fun with it, aren't we? I mean, we walk different. We talk different. We communicate different. We park the car different, right? When we get out of the car at the, at the store, right? When I'm by myself, I shop one way, right? Right? <laughs> Heard one of my mentors say, "Yeah, when a man goes shopping, he's he's hunting. Goes in there and bags it and sacks it and yanks it out of there and throws it in the back of the car and drives home." Amen. Right? The woman wants to kind of go up every aisle. Right? Now, forgive me if I'm making sweeping generalizations. Is anybody going to get their feeling? Well, Brian, I actually here's some of the men thinking. Oh, I kind of like to shop. Right? Okay, I love you anyway. <laughs> get, get over it. All right, we're just we're talking in some generalities here. Right? Or yours truly, perhaps. But the, the point is, is that Cindy and I shop totally differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally different. In fact, I don't really recommend that you shop t- together all the time because we've had some humdingers and King Supers. <laughs> huh? You know. You know. Also, I got to tell you, I've had some of my most romantic impulses in King Supers, too, just watching her push that car. bless God. <laughs> I'm like, wow, that is a fine-looking woman right there. What are you doing after this? Okay. Often it is the wife's responsibility to oppose her. See, this is the stuff I've gotten in trouble with, trouble for. I've had guys that, that are friends of mine. More than once, several times, say to me, I don't like that. I'm here to help you. I love you. I'm doing this the best way that I can that's going to be helpful to you. Not to destroy anybody, not to tear anybody down. That is not my job. I'm supposed to be edifying the body of Christ, right? Often it is the wife's responsibility to oppose her husband and to prevent him from acting rashly. Or to help him achieve a common course by questioning, criticizing, and discussing. Get, get, the, get the podcast. <laughs> why, would, why would a man need a, wo- a woman to do that with him? Questioning, criticizing, discussing. Quiet, woman. I'm to, I already got my mind up. This is what I'm going to do. All right, then. Go do it then, fool. God did not send you a stupid woman. That's right. I don't know about anybody else, but I know for myself. See, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm just being honest with you here. I've made some stupid decisions. You know, when you're a man, you know, you get this thing. It's called testosterone. Sometimes it kind of messes up the way you think. Women, I mean, have have some compassion. It's what makes a man a man. You know, God gives him this, 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 this manhood so he can face the challenges of life. You know, to be strong, you know. But he needs... A complimentary voice. Let's be, let's be wise to use our words, not like knives. Amen. But like salves and aromas whenever possible. I mean, Cindy, she just has a way, you know, of kind of coaching me a little bit when I start getting... Ah, this is the way I'm going to do it. Bless God, this has got to happen now. And she's like, does it really have to happen right now like that? And and, sometimes she gets a little stronger and says, go by yourself, fool. I ain't going that way. But there's times, I'm just going to be honest with you, and Cindy, if you use this against me, I'll deny I ever said it. (laughs) There's been times when she tried to talk me out of one of my... ideas. I didn't listen to her. And I failed. So I've learned after 20 years of marriage to uh, be brave enough, be secure enough, be come on, grow up, fellas. Bring her into the discussion. See, she is voluntar- she has voluntarily submitted to my authority, even though she was secure and independent when I met her. She has voluntarily submitted to my authority. The least I can do is honor that voluntary submission and give her something to to submit to. By saying, you know what, here's the situation we're facing, what do you think? I just found we make better decisions that way. It requires some humility, Gentlemen. In spite of that testosterone, it does require a little bit of humility. Amen? But here's the thing. I I find that when I give in to her, I become stronger. It's funny. It's it's, it's counterintuitive that you could give in and grow stronger. Seems like if you stand up to somebody, that makes you stronger. (laughs) That's how we men are, right? Well, you ain't talking to me that way, boy. You and me, we going, down, we going outside and all up in here and everything like that, right? Don't let nobody talk to you that way. You, I'm supposed to just let people run all over me? Sometimes young married men ask me questions like that. You mean I'm just supposed to just let her just do whatever she wants? Just run all over me? Like, if you married a woman that just wants to run all over you, for one thing, First of all, I doubt that that is in her heart to run all over you. I don't think that's what she wants to do. Right? But maybe she's acting out a little bit because you're suppressing her voice. I would too. I'd push back too if you was always shutting me up and shoving me down. Oh, I love you, Lord Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) What's she saying? (laughs) thus the verse means literally that there are times a wife can best be a helper by being against him boy that's some strong language there isn't it can you all bear with me for just a moment oh But that doesn't mean, you know, you're always women. That doesn't mean you're always, you know, arguing with them over every stupid little thing. That's not what we're saying here. Amen? But women, God gave you wisdom that the man simply does not possess. He gave you a perspective that the man simply does not possess. And God puts you in his life to to, uh, bring wisdom into his life. Can you say amen? amen? All right. So let's talk about what marriage is not. You know, you'd hate to think you rejected something based on a lie, right? If I had a package up here wrapped up with a bow, and I said, do you want this? <laughs> and you didn't know what was in it, and you said no, what if it was something really good? Right? But I know right now, marriage is, is, is under attack, and... and, and uh, Marriage is changing. The fabric of our culture is changing. In some countries, statistically, people just aren't getting married anymore. And in some cases, the, the, the tax system benefits people uh, avoiding marriage. So let's talk about what marriage is not. Yeah. Marriage is not a legal contract with termination language. Now, I'm a contractor. I write contracts all the time. And you got to always put in there an out clause so they can get out of it if they want to. If I'm not serving the customer, if the customer is demanding too much or not paying on time, those kind of things, you can get out of it. A marriage is not a legal contract with an out clause. It's just not. Now, my first marriage... I went to a justice of the peace because I thought that marriage was a legal contract. I didn't I didn't have the revelation, that was thirty-eight years ago or something. I didn't have the revelation now that I have then that I have now about what marriage is. And a lot of people these days are either opting in or out of marriage based on the concept that it is a legal contract. I don't want to get married because I don't want to be tied up legally with this person. Marriage is not a legal contract. Divorce is. Divorce is a piece of paper. People tell us sometimes, well, that piece of paper don't make me married. Well, a piece of paper will make you divorced. (laughs) I found out the hard way. You know, when, it, when, you, when you get divorce papers, it doesn't say anything about you can't love that person no more. It doesn't say you can't go out to dinner. It doesn't say you can't sleep with that person. All it says is, her money ain't your money no more. And your money, we're going to take it. <laughs> <laughs> so consider this with me. Ponder this with me. Marriage is not a legal contract. And sometimes people opt out of traditional marriage in, they'll, they'll embrace, you know, prenuptial agreements. They're injecting legalism into something that God never intended to be a legal agreement. Amen. Never, and it was never intended to be a legal situation. Uh, I'll show you this in, uh, in the book of Matthew chapter 19. I'm going to read, start reading with verse 1. Matthew chapter 19 verse 1. I'm going to move briskly here so I don't run myself out of time. i got a lot of, a lot of uh, Bible teaching I need to hand out to you here in the next few few minutes. All right? So can you listen? Listen hard, okay? We're going to move. Here we go. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee, came to the coast of Judea, beyond Jordan, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed him there. And he's still doing the same thing today. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him and saying, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for any... Can I divorce my wife anytime I want to? Because that's what they did. Because in those days, 2,000 years ago, it was never God's will, but a woman was considered property. And when, when, when a man was kind of done with that piece of property, he'd just unload her. Jesus answered and said to them, have you not read? I love it when he says, don't you guys read the Bible? Don't you read the Bible you're quoting to me, son? I could just see it, you know. I'm sure he wanted to just slap some people sometimes. Don't You, you know what I mean? You've you got to be kidding me you're quoting the Bible to me and you haven't even read it. You don't know anything. Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning, he takes you back to the beginning, made them male and female and said, for this cause, a man leaves a father and mother and shall cleave to his wife. I'm going to give you a strong, strong point here. Gentlemen, there comes a time, you know, when you're born, from the moment you're born, your mama is your whole world. Hmm. But there comes a time where another woman has to take first position, men, in your life. Okay, I'll step away from that before I hit the third rail of preaching here and (laughs) electrocute myself. For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife. That means his primary, number one relationship is to his wife, Jesus, and then his wife. Amen? Say amen. Yes. And they, too, become one flesh. That's why they are no more two but one. Now, I'm going to say this to you. I've got, got, got to make this point. There's not one verse of Scripture that I know of. Is everybody listening to me? Yes. There's not one verse of Scripture that I know of in the Bible that demands a marriage ceremony. I've looked for it. I, I wanted to find it. But I can't find it. When God made Adam and Eve in the beginning, He brought her to Him and that was His wife. Can you say amen? Amen. What if she'd have said, I don't like that fool? It would, it would have never, they would have never become one flesh. Right? There are no more two but one. That's why God, uh, look, at, look at this verse right here. It says, what therefore God has joined together. How does God join a man and a woman together? He brings her to him. That's the, that's the pattern. That's why sometimes we can frustrate ourselves, men, and particularly uh, when we go hunting for a wife. If you want God's best, men, you wait for the right one, for God to bring you the right one, at the right time. It's more important to be the right person than it is to find the right person that's what I learned during 11 years of being single single is that I had to get my act together quite a bit before I was suitable marriage material and I just got to tell you this may be a little bit of you know personal uh, experience that may not be applicable to everybody but I found that living on my own and taking care of myself running a household by myself made me a better husband down the road because I learned to do my own laundry. I learned to sew up my own rips and my own jeans. I learned to cook my own meals and plan for my own, you know, uh, menu and stuff like that and do my own shopping. And, you know, there's a lot of single women that do this every day and think nothing of it, right? Right? Well, you could take some pressure off of your gentlemen, young men, if you're contemplating marriage. You could take some pressure off of your future wife if you will learn some basic home economic skills before you go out there and jump from mama's house to sweet baby's house. Right? Can you say amen? Amen. All the women love that there. Amen. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Don't, Don't let man divide the two of you when God brought you together. Now, when he says don't let man put asunder, there's forces that are working against marriage in the culture, in our legal system, in our tax system. Jesus said, let not man and these forces divide what God has put together. God has brought us together for a purpose. So it is is critical for us to obey the words of the master. Would you not agree? And don't let any force of mankind divide us. They said unto him, why did Moses then command to give her a writing of divorcement? How come that's in the Bible then that I can divorce her? (laughs) They think they got Jesus, right? They think they got him. Not hardly. He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, allowed you to put away your wives. See, here's the thing. In those days, a divorced woman was in real danger. She didn't have any way to uh, make a living. She's cut off from whatever inheritance. She's on her way to slavery of some kind in order to survive. But if she had a writing of divorcement, that means she's an honorable woman and she can present that, right, to the elders and say, hey, it's not my fault. Right? That's what divorce is supposed to be. When you're, when you're the defendant in a divorce case, you're supposed to that document is supposed to work for you, not against you. Can you say amen. amen? That's not the way it works in, in this culture anymore, a lot of times. If you're the defendant, they they might throw you in jail. I'm just I've heard tell about some of this stuff. All right. Is there anybody getting anything out of this? Is this edifying the body of Christ today? This is good, solid Bible teaching today. All right? All right. Uh, Moses allowed you to put away your wives, but from the beginning, he goes back to the beginning again. It says, from the beginning, it wasn't like this. And I say unto you, whosoever shall put his his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another. See, that's what they were doing. They were using a legal system to get rid of this one because they saw one that was younger and prettier or whatever. And Jesus said that's hardness of heart. Mm? The book of Hebrews says that 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 judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. You think you're going to use the word of God to commit adultery, which is what that is. Praise the Lord. Not getting a lot of amens or hallelujahs. Nobody running around to church waving flags or nothing here today. But this is good Bible teaching. Amen. His disciples said unto them, If the case is so with his wife, maybe it's better not to marry. (laughs) He said, This this is not for everybody, Jesus said. But they to whom it it is given. All right. All right. So, what marriage is not. Marriage is not a religious sacrament. Now, I know in some churches it is where, you know, you receive your first communion, you you receive your baptism, you receive marriage as a religious sacrament. In other words, the church is overseeing your marriage. The church is not overseeing your marriage. Who's the one that brought you together? (laughs) Then he's overseeing it. It's a divine institution. It is not... A religious sacrament. Let me, let me show you a little demonstration I like to do when I talk about marriage a little bit. This is she. This is God. And this is he. Okay. God. Pours himself into, into them. Right. And then. They're supposed to pour themselves into God first. Right? And in due season, God brings you back together by bringing that person into your life. And when that person comes into your life, and it's the right person, you know it. Because it's from God. Because he brings us together. Can you say amen? Amen. And then what he does is he asks you to drink from one cup. Amen? From one cup. And I am a little thirsty, so. So it's you, it's he and she and God. That's what marriage is. Marriage is not a religious sacrament where we wave our hand over you and thus thou art married. I don't see that in the Bible. Want me to show you what I see in the Bible? I'll show you what I see in the Bible. Since you asked, I'm glad you asked, boys. Genesis chapter 24, verse 63. I'm going to show you exactly what the Bible calls husband and wife. You want to see it? Anybody? Nobody? Crickets? Everybody okay here? 2463. All right, and Isaac went out to meditate in the field at the eventide, and he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, the camels were coming. So this is the story about how Abraham, you know, when he was an old man, he had the child Isaac. Remember the story? Right? And then God told him to take him up on the mountains of Moriah and sacrifice him for a burnt offering, right? And then the angel stopped his hand just before he stuck that knife in him and said, because you did this thing, in blessing I will bless you. And he pronounced the great blessing upon Abraham and his seed forever. So Isaac is the seed of Abraham. He is the child of promise now. And now he's 40 years old. And he's never been married. I would dare say, I would bet you lunch, and I'm hungry, that he was a virgin at age 40. And there was no negative connotation to that whatsoever. I know they made a movie about that not long ago, the 40-year-old virgin, like you're a, you're a fool, like Tim Tebow's a fool for waiting. Let me just help you out a little bit. There ain't no aphrodisiac like abstinence, yo. Better than any pill. There's something about plucking fruit when it's perfectly ripe. There's just something about it if you eat it early, too. It just kind of leaves kind of a bitter taste in your mouth. He went out into the field to meditate by night, and behold, the camels are coming, verse 64. And uh, Rebekah lifted up her eyes. She's on that camel. Uh, Abraham sent his servant way far yonder away to go find a wife for my son. And he cautioned him, said, don't take a, a wife for my son. This is... This is a cultural thing. You know, we, this offends our modern ears. But in those days and in many places today, still marriages are arranged. Uh, we, know, we have a good friend, uh, Rock. You know Rock and Udi? Their marriage was arranged, and they're, they're very successful people. Very, you know, they work well together. They're raising a family, and uh, they, they stick together through thick and thin. Nobody's pointing a gun at them making them stay together. From another country, right? All right. So the servant went to, uh, uh, I think it's Pad and Aram, to go find Rebekah. And it was a, it's a beautiful story. Read it for yourself about how the servant, you know, followed God and found the right woman, right, and brought her back. And he's bringing her back, and she's on that camel. It's, it's a camel train now. It's, it's at least a dozen camels, maybe more. There's soldiers and everything with them. This is like a queen being brought back, right, to Isaac. Isaac is no slouch. I mean, he'd be like, you know, Don Jr. or somebody, right? And she's on that camel, and she can see him walking out in the field by night, and she says, that's got to be the dude. That's got to be him right there, right? You know what this says? When she saw him, she jumped off of that camel, and what'd she do? Uh, she said to the servant, What man is that walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, It is my master, therefore she took a veil and covered herself. Next verse, please. And the servant told Isaac all things that he had done. And Isaac brought her, here it is right here. Look at this very carefully. Isaac brought her into his mother, Sarah's tent, and took Rebekah. Was there a ceremony? No. Nope. Was there a sacrament? No. Nope. Was there a preacher waving his hand over him? Was there, Were they cutting cake like this with their hands and all this stuff and shoving it in each other's face? I, I don't see that here. Nothing wrong with that. Me and Cindy did that. It was the most glorious, wonderful thing. It, I, I mean, the, the, the anointing of that day still lingers today. I mean, just absolutely glorious. I mean, it just carried us uh, into the early days of our, of our marriage. The anointing that God put on that ceremony you don't have to have that. You can, go, you can do without. I'm just, I'm just giving you what I see in the Bible. He took her in the tent and she, boom, booyah, kabooyah, that's his wife. When the sun comes up in the morning, that's my wife. I don't know any other way to read this. Do you? I mean, there's no transition period. Doesn't say they had a couple of cold beers and got to know each other. Come on in the tent, honey. I'm 40 years old. I've been waiting all these years. You look good. Please hurry up. I mean, okay, whatever you got to put on or take off, let's get with the program here. Amen. How do you read this? She became his wife. And what was the next thing that happened? He learned to love her. He learned to love her. You know why? Why? She commanded his respect. She's not a pushover. Girls, I'm just going to tell you, if you learn to say no. I'm not, saying no to, I'm not saying no at the wrong time. I'm saying when he says, I want to go get me, I want to take our tax return to go buy me a hot rod. And you're behind on your rent and the kids need shoes and your rent ain't paid. You know what you need to tell that? Gentlemen, no, No. stand up to him. Mm -hmm. Well, he'll slap me. What are you doing with a fool that would slap you? Well, the Bible says that I'm supposed to stay with him even if he slaps me. Bull shrapnel. Well, yeah, but I have a marriage covenant. That means I'm supposed to allow him to abuse me and yell at me and spit in my face and slap me around and be mean to me and starve me. You, you're, you're, What are you smoking? Where'd you get that? Oh, we have people tell us this stuff. Well, I just have to do whatever he says. Are you nuts? Cindy, don't do everything I tell her to do. And it doesn't, like, rock my world. Makes me a little angry sometimes. You know what I got to do when I get angry? Three words. Get over it. This is, this, is, this is prime time right here, friends. This is good Bible teaching. She became his wife, and he learned to love her. It, you, don't, you don't, friends, listen to me. Most people get married when they're, you know, in their 20s, I guess, you know, statistically. We know so little about love when we're in our 20s. <laughs> we're figuring a couple of things out in our 30s. In our 40s, we're kind of getting our feet on the ground a little bit, but man, you don't really hit your stride till you you get a little bit of snow on the rooftop. Amen. It takes a while, and, and the longer you go, the better it's supposed to get. Yes. Oh, that was a that you could do better than that. Come on now. The the longer you go, the better it's supposed to get. He took her in the tent. She became his wife. He loved her. And she didn't take the place of his mother. But she took a place that his mother could never fill in his life. Can you see that? Mm -hmm. See, when his mother passed away, that left an emptiness and a void in his life. She could never take the place of his mother. But she comforted him. In a way that his mother never could. So, what marriage is not, and I only have two hours left here, so I better really hustle, right? Uh, marriage is not a ceremony. It's not a ceremony. Now, the ceremony's good. Your friends and family and neighbors want to celebrate with you, but marriage is not a ceremony. Amen. I mean, you know, I mean, you ever watch, what was it, Goodfellas at the, at the marriage ceremony when they get married and all these people come up with these big wads of cash, right? And they got their big bag and they stick it all in the big bag and then the bag's getting heavier and heavier. She's looking at it like, this is pretty cool. Why didn't we do this a long time ago? We had a similar, similar situations when we decided to get married. People want to celebrate with you. It's a good day. It's a, it was the best day of my life. Amen. After Jesus, after July thirteenth, nineteen eighty-eight, when I gave my heart to the Lord, and July thirty-first, nineteen ninety-nine, the number one and number two. I don't know. Number three was probably November second, two thousand fourteen. Huh? Anybody know what that day was? That's when we launched this church. Next Saturday is our anniversary. Amen five years. We made it five years. There's no stopping us now. Right. Amen. There's no stopping us now. Amen. Amen. I mean, y'all came out in those life-threatening conditions and you got your mucklucks and your parkas and everything and your blankets and we're going right. to make it. We're going to make it. We're going to make it big time. Right. That's, right. That's right. Marriage is not a ceremony. It's not a legal contract. Sometimes people are afraid to get married because they're afraid that person's going to take everything from them. What are you doing with them? Yeah. What are you doing with somebody who's going to take everything you got? Is, do you think so, so, have such a low opinion of yourself that you would, are you listening to me? That you would give yourself to somebody who would steal everything you got. You would give yourself to somebody that does not love you. When God loves you and we love you, you need to learn to love yourself some, amen, and then you won't give in to that nonsense. It's just sex. That's what I, from my perspective, if you're living with somebody, no, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. I worship you, Jesus. That don't love you. Why? 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 you got to learn to love yourself, and you grow strong in the middle of that. You might wake up one day and say, you know, I just I may not need somebody that don't love me. Huh? <clears throat> All right, man, there's some points I really want to make here today. Can you can you be good to me here for a minute? What is marriage? You might want to write this down. as a short little saying. What is marriage? Marriage is the voluntary commingling of one man and one woman and one God by a blood covenant for life. Boy, it's quiet in this place, man. What is marriage? Marriage is the voluntary commingling of one. It's inseparable. You can't separate the water from those two cups, it's impossible. And when you drink it, it goes down into the inside of you. That's what those ceremonies are for when you hook the arms and you share the, the wine. You're saying that our lives are forever intertwined, inseparable forever. That's what you're saying. It's the vestiges of an ancient blood covenant. The voluntary commingling of one man and one woman and one God by a blood covenant. For life. Blood covenants are there's there's no way out. There's no way out. Say amen. Amen. I I may have to go next week with this too. Amen. Because there's a lot here that I don't think I'm gonna be able to get to. I want to find one of my notes here. Exodus chapter 22, verse 16. Exodus chapter 22, verse 16. I'm going to close with this. Uh, I've got a lot more than I suppose I'll have to deal with next week if the Lord lets me. Would you, would you come back and bring somebody? Amen. See how much weight I've lost by this time next week. Amen. All right. I'm hungry all the time, by the way. Okay. Right. <laughs> 41 pounds since 4th of July. Amen. Glory to God. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. I give you the glory for it. Thank you, Lord. Exodus 22, 16 in the BLT. You got your BLT translation handy there in your phone? All right, then listen carefully. I'll give it to you. If a man seduces a bachelorette that is not engaged and has sex with her, He shall surely pay a dowry for her to be his wife. Now, you're going to have to have help to misunderstand the Bible. This is so simple. It says, it's not talking about rape. This is talking about recreational sex. Now, the, look at who the responsibility is with if the man seduces the bachelorette that's not engaged. That means, well, I'm single. You're single. We're both going to the same university. I, I ain't doing nothing Friday night. What are you doing? Whatever you're doing, that's what I'm doing. That's the situation. He shall surely uh, endow her to be his wife. Uh, that word endow is talking about a dowry. You know what a dowry is? There's the, the, we don't do dowries anymore in this, in this culture, but that's a very recent situation. Still worldwide, they, there's dowries are, are demanded. If, if, if I'm going to give you my wife, there's going to be a dowry. I mean, excuse me, if I'm going to give you my daughter, you're going to pay a dowry for my daughter. What is the dowry? It was enough for her to survive on if he died and left her with the kids like a life insurance policy now I don't know about you but some people have life insurance policies and they're worth more dead than they are alive why most men that are raising a family and have a mortgage and things like that should probably have some kind of life insurance you know it's pretty cheap to get term life insurance. Nothing wrong with that. I'm going to give you some practical advice. You can get, if you're young, you know, you can, I mean, you'll never miss that 20 bucks a month. And she, she could have a half a million if something bad happened. I'm not saying anything bad's going to happen. But you'll never miss that 20 bucks anyway. That's right. And she has security. That's what the dowry was. It was security. He had to cough up the security that wasn't... Um, what's what's, a, what's a, a typical life insurance policy? Anybody? How much? That's... I mean, that's pretty much... Anything less than that is, you know, she, she's not going to last long on $100,000 if she's raising kids. How, you, it's got to be at least a half a million. A million and a half would be better. That way she can pay off the house... Buy a car, right? Put the kids through school. Amen. And have some money left over in the bank so she doesn't have to go work three jobs to pay the light bill. The dowry was in that neck of the woods. For what? Who has to pay that for? For for what? For what? A one-night stand. He's supposed to pay that for having sex with a chick on campus, one time. That's the law of Moses. Aren't you glad you're not under the law of Moses anymore, amen? You know, I'm going to tell you some practical stuff that's in the Bible, friends. That Women, that should tell you what you're worth. That should tell you that you, you're not supposed to, girls, you're not supposed to give yourself away to some dude that is incapable of loving you. I don't care how fancy his car is. I don't care if he's got rippling muscles and wavy hair and all the right piercings and all of this stuff. Can you take care of business, bro? That's what you should be asking him. Can you buy me a car? Can you pay cash for a car? Amen. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff you should be asking him. Because if, listen, if, if he can't be the man before you get married, you're going to have to be the man after you get married. Right. Glory. Right. Glory. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I don't care how crazy this culture gets. I still believe a woman deep in her heart wants a man that loves her enough to take care of her. Amen. And like I say, when I married Cindy, she was better off financially than I was. So no condemnation on anybody. She still voluntarily submitted to to, to me to be her husband because she saw something in me. She saw that I was going to serve God first and that God was going to take care of the rest. So she didn't have to. And you know, if, if she wanted to go back and get a job, that's fine with me, she'd probably make more money than I do, right? That wouldn't hurt my feelings, that wouldn't threaten my manhood at all. That's what she wants to do. Sometimes, you know, when, uh, when, when the kids grow up and leave, you know, the, the woman wants to go back to work, there ain't nothing wrong with that. You want her to just sit around the house and wait wait for me to come home every day? I mean, maybe she's not into that. Every situation is a little bit different, so we're not trying to bring any condemnation or belittle anybody in any situation. But what I am saying is that sex isn't supposed to be cheap. When 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 Isaac took her in the, in the tent, buddy, he'd been waiting all his life for that one night, and it was worth it for her. He made it worth her a while, right? Overnight, she, if she wasn't rich before, she was shown of rich. Isaac was beyond our understanding of how rich he, he was. Kings feared him and envied him. He was so rich. When the servant went to go find her and pad Aram, he brought, read it for yourself, he brought jewels. One translation says a crown. That's what that ring is supposed to signify. He's supposed to be able to have enough substance... With that ring to show you, I paid cash for Cindy's wedding ring. I'm not saying I'm better than anybody else, but I paid cash for her ring. I felt like I had to do that. Amen. I want to take care of my woman, right? And I've had to work long hours. Some of you men know what I'm talking about. You just got too much manhood in you to say, yeah, well, you know, I mean, you know, I know you don't got socks or whatever, but I just, I'm tired. I don't want to work today. There's just something in me where I I was going to work. To take care of my family. Amen. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that the Word of God would bring edification to the body of Christ. I pray that it would bring unity to marriages. I pray that it would bring strength to marriages in Jesus' name. That between husbands and wives, Lord, whatever the situation, that you would weld something together on the inside of us that is forever, as long as we both shall live Until death do us part in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Something special, something strong. Lord, help husbands and wives to see each other as equals, regardless of what the culture says, regardless of what the bank account says, regardless of what the the education system says. Help us to see each other as God's gift to one another, Lord just the way we are, that God, you gave me this man, you gave me this woman, Lord, just the way they are, and help me to help them be the best that they can be. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. The Word of God says in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. And uh, she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Now I've heard preachers go on and on and on about how God was mad at Cain for being a gardener. I just don't see that in the Word of God, because if you go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 23... It says that he sent Adam out of the garden to till the ground. So I just don't see that. I see something else in these verses that I'm going to show you here with God's help in just a moment. Verse 3, Genesis 4, 3. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very angry, and his face showed it. Okay. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you so mad? Why are you mad, bro? And why why, why you uh, is your countenance fallen? If you do well, don't you know you're going to be accepted? But if uh, if you don't do well, sin is lying at the door. We need to recognize that our pathway is leading either to righteousness or to iniquity iniquity is the pathway to sin getting on the wrong pathway even if you're not actively involved in some sin still displeases god and it's going the wrong way doesn't please god because he knows that it ends in destruction god's not mad at us listen The Bible says, this is like the waters of Noah unto me, as I have sworn that the waters of Noah should never cover the earth again, so have I sworn that I would never be angry at you. Does anybody think we're going to get another Noah's flood? Nobody believes that, do you? Because every time you see that rainbow, you know that God made a covenant with mankind. There's never going to be another uh, deluge of that magnitude. The universe, however, will be renovated by fire at the end of the, at the, end of the uh, millennium. And you and I are going to be dancing around a bonfire and join the, the show, right? You've got to be on the right side of this thing, man. It's going to be a bummer, right? Verse 8, please. And Cain talked with Abel his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where's where your brother? He says, I don't know. It's not my job. And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries unto me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the earth. Now, people have gotten confused that God put a curse on Cain. God did not put a curse on Cain. The voice of the his brother His brother's blood spoke from the earth, which has opened her mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you till the ground, it's going to be a bummer, man. It's not going to work for you. Now, what was the root of this whole thing? Go all the way back to verse 3. In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering to the Lord. What was the quality of his offering? The Bible doesn't say anything about it. It was a nondescript offering. Again, again, You know, I didn't come here today to talk about this, but I'm just going to say this to you gently and lovingly as as I'm able. If you feel pressured to give money to any church, this or any other church... I'd keep it if I was you. I'd just keep it. <laughs> Amen. I don't respond to guilt. I certainly would not ask you to respond to guilt or pressure of any kind. Right? So if you feel like, well, it's offering time, i got to participate, just don't, don't. It's not, it's not doing you any good. So Cain's offering was a nondescript offering, wasn't it? Look at verse 4. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. So there's a description of Abel's offering. He, he kind of agonized over it. He went through the flock and picked the very best sheep he had. Fluffy, you might call right. Oh, she's a good looking sheep. <laughs> she was on the cover of Sheep Weekly. Perfect specimen. He went through the flock and God only knows how many he had, but he found the very best and he gave the best part. He didn't just give, give the hooves and the horns, says he gave the fat and everybody knows that's the most delicious part, right? Right? If you're doing a ribeye steak after church today, no, we're having lunch here at church, right? Everybody getting hungry? And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. Keep going. But unto Cain and to his offering, he did not have respect. And Cain was very angry and his countenance felt. Why does Cain know that God doesn't respect his offering? You know, this is a different church. I ask questions, you know, I mean... It's okay, to, it's okay to answer. There's no wrong answers. I'm not going to correct you, but I, I realize my style may be a little different where I actually in, involve you sometimes and ask questions. I, I realize that's kind of different. But why would Cain be so mad? Why, he must know. He must see simp, something that shows him that God is not receiving his offering. God does not receive every offering. You know, I, I've sent some back. I'm not sending yours back today, but... <laughs> I've sent some, some offerings back. There was a guy who, uh, I'm not going to give you all the details, but he was sending me money every week, you know, when I was on the radio, and he wanted to have lunch with me. We went and had lunch, and it just got really weird. He wanted to control me. He was just a really weird person, and then he started sending me these nasty emails and criticizing me and everything, and I'm like, dude, here's everything you sent me the last couple months. Take it back. Take it back. Uh, God does not receive every offering, but when he does, what happens to you? To your offerings, your tithes and offerings open the door for you to receive more blessing. Mm-hmm. Does anybody believe that? Yeah. I can tell you from many, many years of experience that this works. This works in good times. It works in not so good times. I have tested these principles when I was starving, I used to say 75 pounds ago, got it down to about 50 now. <laughs> I tested these principles when I could not afford to buy food. It, when, when, when you give a willing offering, God accepts it. And when he does, things start changing in your life. I better get back on my subject. I want you to look with me at, uh, <coughs> praise the Lord, I'm not going to charge you no extra for that. You ever heard of uh, Goofus and Gallant? Yep. Yeah. You got that image there? Anybody, anybody has no idea who Goofus and Gallant are? All right. The, when I used to go to the dentist's office... Uh, they had the Highlights magazine there, and we would look at the, you know, waiting wait my turn at the dentist office. I'd go through the Highlights magazine for children and read about Goofus and Galat. Goofus runs with scissors pointing up. Galat works with scissors point. he, he, he walks with scissors pointing. You ever heard, don't run with scissors, right? This is where it came from. This is where that all came from. And if you look at them, they're really the same kid, just with different hairstyles. (laughs) But more than that, they have a different attitude. And God is interested in our attitudes. When we're talking about raising children, we need to focus on their attitudes. Did I forget to turn my thing on? Can you hear me in the back? Can you hear me in the back? Okay, check, check. We have a propensity to focus on behavior. Don't do this. Don't do that. Right? Right. And you got to do that sometimes. But more importantly, if we can deal with a child's attitudes, you'll raise godly children if you can focus on their attitudes more than on their behavior. I have so much to say today. I need you all to pray for me, and because amen. Just pray for me right now. Say, Father, help him to do this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Genesis chapter 27, verse 1. I've only got three hours left, right? Before they turn the lights off, right? Turn the air conditioning off in here. Remember the old building we went in there uh, at our first Christmas? It was like 39 degrees in there. <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, we stay. We don't know no better. We don't know when to quit. We don't know when we're whipped, right? (laughs) Genesis 27, verse 1. It came to pass when Isaac was old, his eyes were dim so that he could not see. He called Esau, his older son, and said unto him, My son. And he said, Here am I. Yeah, Pop, I'm here. And he said, Behold now, I'm old. Yeah, I think I can see that, Dad. And I don't know when I'm going to die. Now therefore take, I pray thee, thy thy weapons, thy quiver, and thy bow, and go out to the field and take me some venison, and make me some savory meat, the kind I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, and that my soul may bless thee before I die. And Rebekah heard when Isaac spoke to Esau his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt for venison and to bring it. And Rebekah spake unto Jacob her son, saying, Behold, I heard your father speak unto Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me venison, and make me savory meat that I may eat, and bless thee before uh, bless thee before the Lord before my death. Now, the, this is the mom speaking now. She tells the younger son, Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to all that I command thee. Go to the flock. Don't go hunting, but go out here to the, to the back 40 and get one of the lambs, right, Two kids of the goats, and I'll make something delicious for the old man here, you see, and together we're going to hoodwink him. Now, let me ask you something. Do you think that this is the first time that they've ever, ever had a situation like this in that household? No. I better cut to the chase here for I run myself out of time. Sibling rivalries are nearly 100%, I think, caused by poor parenting. Boy, it's quiet in here. Can I get an amen, a holy grunt, anything there? It's totally unnecessary. Now, I'm I'm not going to tell you that you raise every child exactly the same. If this one spills the milk, you spank them all. I'm not saying that. You do have to raise different children differently though because they have different personalities. They respond differently to reward and punishment. I'm not going to give you a bunch of cookie cutter rules on reward and punishment. You need God to raise godly children. You need the wisdom of God to know when to spank. I said spank. How to spank. When to reward. You know, sometimes the the worst thing you can do for a child is reward them excessively. (laughs) But in this family, uh, Isaac and Rebecca, they had favorites. And that created these dreadful rivalries that changed the destiny of nations. If you keep reading the story, I mean, it's, uh, you know, you know the story how uh, dad sent Esau out to go hunt deer and bring some back to me. When you get back, I'm going to speak a blessing over you. While he was gone, Jacob put on some of Esau's clothes and put goat skins on his arms because Esau was a hairy dude and Jacob, his twin brother, wasn't. So he went in there. The old man was so old, he was blind. He couldn't see. But he could smell. He smelled his clothing and say, Your voice sounds like your brother, uh, but you, it smells like Esau when he went in there, right? When Jacob went in with the, uh, the goat stew or whatever he made, whatever mom made for him. And what happened is he usurped the blessing. Later, when, uh, uh, when uh, Esau came in, he says... Uh, here's the venison I brought you, Dad. And, and the old man said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Somebody was just here. And Esau knew it was his brother. And what had happened is when Isaac spoke the blessing over the younger brother, it stuck. And Esau said, don't you have anything left for me? He only had the leavens for the, for the older brother now, who should have had the first position as As the firstborn. In that culture. I think you can, when it comes to the the dividing of inheritance, that you're going to need God to help you with that. Because, listen. Families have been torn apart by these things. And it's not necessary. On the other hand, I've seen families come together. And the way that you're raised by your, by your parents has everything to do with can you work with your brother and with your sister. If we are, if our parents have engendered a sibling rivalry, when they're gone and you're my age, you're going to be fighting like cats and dogs. you got to understand, the devil. the devil's been doing this for a long time. And I'm 57 years old. I know I probably look like I'm about half that, right? But, When your kids are my age, if they're little today, the things that you said and did in the household are going to bear fruit when they're my age. If you raise them to love and respect and honor one another and not talk about each other behind one another's back. See, See, what was happening here is Rebecca chooses sides and has a secret conversation with the younger son. That's like cutting the older brother's throat. Where do you think Jacob got all his... If you read about Jacob, the word Jacob means um, usurper. Because in the birth canal when they were coming out, the older brother uh, uh, was coming out and Jacob took a hold of his heel on the way coming out the birth canal. He wanted to climb over him and become the dominant one. And his mother played into those character traits, those characteristics, and accentuated them. Boy, you're going to have to have the wisdom of God. Our our job as parents is not to make these radical changes in our children's personality and behavior. Our job as parents is to nudge them lovingly, consistently on the pathway that they were born into. That God sovereignly ordained for them from the foundation of the world. You're going to have to know the heart and the mind of God for this child in order to cooperate with God's plan for that child. That's good Bible teaching right there. Einstein would have been a lousy NBA player. Right? Right? I, my, my brother met Joe Montana one time. He says he, he, he's kind of dumb. <laughs> Has a dumb laugh. <laughs> he's never go, he never could have come up with the, the, uh, the theory of relativity. I, my, my, Joe Montana could never do that. You have to recognize the talents and the gifts that are in your children and help them to stay on that path. Not say, well, you're going to, you know, what would, what would it be like if Einstein's parents? Gave him a basketball, made him dribble that thing 12 hours a day. You're going to be a basketball player, bless God. Shut up. You're going to be a basketball player. <laughs> a lot of wasted energy. And here's, here's, here's the bottom line here's the payday if we're heavy handed with our children. If we're too heavy handed with our children, here's the payday. Are you listening to me? I love you. I mean, I, I, listen, I love you. I want to help you if we're too heavy handed with our children. There's going to be a broken relationship between the parent and the child. And they're going to grow up and struggle with relationship difficulties their whole life. I could get a lot more specific. But people that struggle with gender identity. I'm just telling you this as a pastor. You can agree, disagree, that's your business. This is my... Findings after many decades of watching people. People that struggle with things like sexuality, gender identity, promiscuity, things like that, have almost universally a broken relationship with a parent or parents. People that, you know, want to be with members of the same sex, sometimes they're trying to punish a parent. Well, that's enough of that, but we better get over of that get back here in the Bible here to help people. Amen? Amen? Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to give you some guiding principles from my 72 pages of notes here I have today. The guiding principles of raising godly children. Number one, we need to create a culture of grace in the home. You might want to write that down. Make that, you know, right? Put a bumper sticker on your car or something to help you remember that. Say, create a culture of grace. What's grace? What is what, Yeah, unmerited favor. What does is, what is God's grace do for me? Well, he put my punishment on Jesus. I mean, I, I, I suffer no pun. God is not punishing people today. I know people that... Listen, this is not the day of God's judgment. This is the day of God's grace. I know people that should know better say things like, well, you know, I just can't seem to fix my dodge. The hand of God must be against me. I had a guy tell me that. He'd been going to church his whole life. He's my age. And he thinks God is against him. He can't fix the wires on his truck. No, son, that's that's not God doing that to you. Why would he think something like that? Maybe his parents created a culture of law in the home. We as parents, you know, i got to address the men. I've gotten in a little trouble with, for this from time to time by being a little too firm with the men. But if you read your Bible, I've got pages of notes on it here today. If you read your Bible, gentlemen, God puts the primary responsibility for these things on the man. The Bible says that the man is called to train his children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That means the entire training and education of that child is the responsibility of the man. And you can't do it without that woman, by the way. Right? You can't. God made this situation situations where we need each other. Now, God bless the single parents. Not coming against you at all. I've been through it. It's hard, especially when somebody's pulling the other way. And you're trying to raise a godly child. And your, your spouse should be supporting you and doing their part. But they're pulling the other way. That's, that's hard. I know what I'm talking about. And, but God's grace is on you. You do your part. That's right. The Word of God says, train up a child in the way that he or she should go. When they're old, it's going to work, man. Th- those words will never leave them. Raise them with the Bible. Those, those words will never leave them. They'll be in their life forever. Plant those seeds lovingly, tenderly, consistently. And then live it. You've got to live what you're teaching them. Friend, let me help you. If I'm not living what I'm teaching my children, I'm creating a manipulative, two-faced hypocrite. Because that's all I am. Boy, it's somber in this place, isn't it? Amen. Listen, I'm praying about this this morning. I'm like, Lord, not everybody wants to hear this. Oh, Oh, well. Create a culture of grace in your home. Yeah, but I can't make my kids do stuff. God can't make you do stuff either. Can all God's people say amen? Amen. Amen. How do you think? Smile, preacher. This is good for God's people. How do you think God feels with us? We won't wiggle right. We won't do what we're supposed to do. Does he smite us with the botch of Egypt? What does he do? What does he do? What does he do? He, he, He overlooks it. He overlooks it. He just stands right there where you left him saying, well, I mean, I... Right there where we left him. He's right there where we left him. And I think that's what you got to do as a parent. You raise them right, and they're going to come to a certain age where they want to start making some of their own decisions. You're going to be right there for them when they won't come home. And they're coming home. Create a culture of grace. Um, If we create a culture of law, you do what I say. I'm bigger than you. And we're controlling children with anger. They're going to grow up to be angry people. Remember, we're working with attitudes. You need God for this. We need need to address the attitude of a child. We need to pick up on attitudes. Here I got I could do got a couple of i got a couple of do's and don'ts here for you if you want them. you got to pick your fights with little kids when you're raising kids. You cannot correct every single thing they're doing, amen. You're going to wear yourself out. And they're going to resent you for it. And I don't want that. Amen. If you call and they don't come, that's a problem. If you say... Come in for supper, and they won't put that thing down. You call them two, three, four times. I'm getting mad. And they're ignoring you. You created that. These kids just won't do what I say. I wouldn't either. You don't mean anything you say. Oof. (laughs) <laughs> this is not easy what I'm doing here today y'all your kids should do what you say if you're creating a culture of legalism you're going to drive them away from God because you're, they, they you're the image of God to them in many ways And if you create a a culture of legalism in the home, they get an image of God as a legalistic, overbearing, disciplinarian monster. And they'll run from him. But if you can create a culture of grace, listen, you know what's going to happen? Is your child is going to begin to judge himself. He's going to say, you know what, That, that just don't agree with how I was raised. We have to create a sense of honor in our children, not a sense of, doggone it, you're going to obey me. That don't work. Man, if I could just share some one simple idea. Brother, that don't work. <coughs> we have to find a way with the love of God to, to plant seeds of honor in them so that it bears fruit later in life. Right. Amen. That's just really simple stuff, man. It's not so. It's simple to say. It's not simple to do because you got to have God every day. You might have to get out of bed one hour early and pray that God helps you not to be a jerk to your kids. That's that's what I that's what I got to (laughs) do. Amen. I have to pray and say, God help me to be nice, you you know, to my church. Help me to be good to my wife because we got flesh. And our flesh is selfish. Mine just like you. I want what I want because I want it. And that's what I want. What? <laughs> Say flesh. <laughs> it's, it's, ugly. it's ugly. It's ugly. We got to have God, friend. And we got to learn to walk in the spirit. We have to learn to raise children by faith. We have to learn to walk in love. Some of you are thinking, well, I ain't got no kids. You, you just might. <laughs> we should be using the law as a last resort, not a steady diet. Huh? I mean, if your kids, here, here's, here's a simple situation. You call the child for supper. They don't get up out of that chair. You got to do something now. You got to train the child before you yell the second time. You need to get an affirmative response out of them. Yes, mother, I'm coming. Yes. <laughs> Amen. Am I, am I? <laughs> Michael was really good at this, man. <laughs> I'd say, Michael. He'd say, what? <laughs> I'd say, Michael. He'd say, what? <laughs> He'd take a couple of steps and start walking to me. What? About that time, I stopped calling him. Then he'd come to me and say, what? 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 <laughs> he figures he's fulfilling the requirements of the law, but my grace is running thin. At the <laughs> he thinks, well, I'm moving in the right direction here. <laughs> Am I telling the truth? Man, you've got to know the difference between your, the way your kids are made. They're not, they're not all the same. I'm looking at the siblings in this room, and you're just, you came from the same mom and dad, you got the same DNA, and you couldn't be more different. God is amazing. That's God. God did that. He made you different. He made you unique. And we as parents got to recognize the uniqueness of every child and cherish it and guide that child lovingly and honorably on the pathway that God has destined for them from the foundation of the world. That is our responsibility. Not to make you do what I want you to do. That's selfishness. We should not be per- motivated by selfishness in raising kids. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. We as children, excuse me, we as parents should be, have a, 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 we're going to build honor and loyalty in that child by having a sacrificial love for that child. Not a selfish love. If, we're, if we're rewar- our, our system of reward and punishment is based on selfishness, we're creating selfish little monsters. Right. It, amen? amen? We got to believe that God is dealing with my children about life and ministry. Yes. He is. God is dealing with little kids. Come on now. Little kids, you know, we have our children's ministry. We believe in what we're doing in the children's ministry. We believe in what Michelle and, her, and, and, and Leah and, and the people that help them are doing. in the. Ch- this is so important. I want those kids, I want your kids, when they get big, to not flake out on church. When your kids are big, I want them to come to church. We got to create a culture of grace in the house of God. Not a culture of, you're going to do what I tell you to do. You know, and we've seen this, where, you know, they get to be a certain age. I mean, when they're in little kids' church, kids' church this big, everything, everything's cool. We're going to paint. We're going to feed you. We're going to give you a snack and a nap, and everything's cool. We love you. Everybody sing a song. Everybody take a nap. Everything go out and play in the playground. They get to be about, yay. They become teenagers, and it's, what kind of music are you listening to? How come you're wearing them clothes? Who are you hanging out with? What? And then we wonder why there's no 21-year-olds in the modern church. They're like, well, screw you. Sorry. <laughs> it's just family here, right? I'm just saying what they're saying. I ain't doing that. You people, you people are just religious. My people out there in the streets are real to me. They accept me for who I am. Now I'm not saying we leave everybody just the way they are, but we we got to create a culture of grace where they want to change, they want to serve God, not because I'm making you do it. Right. right, amen. That's good. Man, if you can get your kids where they want to do good, they're going to disappoint themselves when they fail as little kids. Not because they're afraid of punishment. If the only reason they do right is because they're afraid of punishment, we're creating a legalistic culture. And mindset in that child and they're gonna rebel and now in today's culture man when they, they they rebel I mean they go out there in the tall weeds of rebellion and it's ugly out there man it's ugly out there I don't have to tell you we got to give our kids we have to use reward and punishment wisely I've touched on that briefly but man, we got to use reward and punishment wisely. Should I meddle in people's business a little bit here? Here's some of the kids here. Let's see, right? What do we got here? A freeze or somebody, right? <clears throat> we have to be careful. Oh, I love you, Lord Jesus. I love you, Lord. You want me to talk about that, Lord? Thank you. Lord. Should I talk about electronic devices and junk food? Next week, we've got to be careful with these things, friends. We've got to be careful with these things. All right, let's move to the next point. Giving kids a big picture vision of life. Say that with me, say giving kids a big picture vision of life. they've got to get the big picture, and what's the big picture? It ain't all about. If you want to raise a miserable child to grow up to be a miserable, self-centered, spoiled, rotten, lazy brat at my age, and I know some of them that's my age, that's a spoiled, rotten, lazy, miserable, self-centered, lonely old man. You raise a child to make them think it's all about you. It's not all about you. If you want to raise a child that's going to be healthy, happy, fulfilled with a sense of purpose, a sense of destiny. you gotta, you got to give them a big picture vision of life. you you got to train them in kingdom principles, serving God, staying connected to the local church, staying connected to your family. That's what's important. And, and if you are, they'll be. If I ain't, they won't. Praise the Lord. And I know it requires effort. To make it through the life-threatening conditions we're facing on the streets of North Glen, Colorado today. How many feet of snow did y'all sled through today to get here? I'm so proud of you. It takes effort to stay connected to church. Because the merry-go-round of life is going to try to sling you off. But remember, if you're not connected, they won't be. Amen. Amen. Give those kids a big picture vision of life. Serving God. Staying connected. Can you handle a couple more points here a little bit? Education. I want you to put Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 6 up there please. If you could please. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 6. Education. The word of God says in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 6. I think it's verse uh, 24. That fathers are responsible for the entire Education and training of children. There's one of these candidates now who says we ought to leave kids in elementary school till six p.m. every day, and some of them already are. They go from school to daycare, and you. you and I understand you. Know, you got to pay bills. You're going to have to have God show you how to live. We're talking about how to live life. Well, I just don't have the money. If you keep coming to this church, your financial situation is going to get better. I can tell you that. That's why I'm here. And it's working for me. Is it working for anybody else? I know people in this room that since they got connected and stayed connected, their financial situation has turned around from really bad to getting better. And it's not because I'm some genius. I just found a few simple principles. And if you'll just do what the Word of God says... It'll, it'll work for you, I'm telling you. And you won't have to say, well, I can't raise my kids. I have to let the system raise my kids because I'm broke. That's the devil's plan, to rob your children. That's right. And no condemnation. Come on, I'm not condemning nobody. But let, let's set a goal and say, you know what? By this time next year, something's going to be different. Write it down. Be specific. Put a number on it. Say, by this time next year, Michael uh, shared the prayer petition last week. Get, there's copies of it back there. You and your husbands and wives, write it down. Say, by this time next year, X, Y, Z is going to be different. And this is how it's going to Measurable. Something measurable that you could check up on yourself and say, you know what? God answered that prayer. Date it. Sign it. I'm telling you it works. These words which I command you today will be in your heart. Man, you have to get the word of God in your heart. Not just in your head, but in your heart to where it flows in every situation of life. You're like a sponge, man. You're soaking up the word of God. And when the devil puts a squeeze on you, the word comes out. Huh? Huh? It's real simple. These words which I command you shall be in your heart and you're going to teach them diligently. What's what's diligently mean? That means how Tim Tebow trains, right? Right? You got to mean business. Teaching your kids the word of God. I'm not talking about just once every at Christmas and Easter. Come on. The devil's working on them. How many hours a day are they looking at that iPad? And, and some of it's wholesome stuff they're looking at, but it's capturing their attention. And when you try to get their attention, they're like, what, what, what? Uh, Oh, yeah. Uh. We have to teach our children diligently. That means turn that off. It's time to turn it off. Hmm. Turn it upside down and and put it out of arm's reach. What was that one movie, Clifford, when he took the dinosaur? (laughs) Remember that? (laughs) He's trying to. (laughs) Clifford went back. Uh, They'll be reaching for that thing. No. You're going to. This is. Come on. Will you do this? Will you teach your children the Word of God? I'm only supplementary. The things we do here are only supplementary. You have to mean business five, six, seven days a week to make this happen, friend. I I had an Amway salesman, man. They were after me a few years ago. They were after me. And I'm like, I didn't say no, so they took that as yes, right? They were hounding me, taking me out to lunch. And they start drawing circles on napkins, you know, at Denny's, you know. Here's you, and here's your system, and here's the plan, and... And they kept saying this one thing, they kept saying over and over and over and over and over. Four or five nights a week, 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 four or five nights a week. You're going to do this four or five nights a week. If you do this system four or five nights a week, you will be rich. You will build your system. This multi level marketing thing really does work if you can do it four or five nights a week. Anything will. If you lift weights four or five nights a week, you're going to be something else. If you read your Bible four or five nights a week, That's right. you're going to be something else. If you train your children, I mean just five minutes, ten minutes, turn everything off. We're going to show God some respect. We're going to pray what happened at school today, four or five nights a week. You will see results, friend, one year from today. If you will adopt these simple principles one year from today, you will see a change in your child. You're going to see a change in you. You know, this is where God taught me how to teach the Bible, is just teaching my children the Bible. I I sensed the power of God teaching my kids the Bible. I would just read them Bible stories and I could feel the power of God. (laughs) You will too. You're anointed to do this. You can teach your children the Bible. You'll feel the power of God as you do. And you got to do it. You got to do it. You got to do it. Lives are hanging in the balance. You shall teach them diligently unto your children. You'll talk of them when you're sitting in the house, when you're driving in the car at bedtime, and when you get up in the morning. Brother, if you just do that verse right there, your life will change. Your children's lives will change. What's the next verse say? Oh, that that was my verse, huh? All right, I'm almost done. You everybody okay? Almost done. Say, almost done, Pastor. This education that you're going to teach your children, right? You're going to teach them the Bible. Right? You're going to teach them a biblical worldview. So when they see stuff in the culture where the Supreme Court says that the Constitution says that the founding fathers bled and died so that two men can get married... You're going to know, you know, that's, not, that's against the Bible. I'm not, not saying I don't hate nobody. I'm not against nobody. But that's, that's totally against the Bible. Well, it, it, yeah, but that's an old book. Brother, it's, it's up to the minute. It's up to the minute. And if you teach your kids a biblical worldview, when they hear this nonsense in school or in the media or on social media, and you've got you to get them ready for this. You, don't be naive. Right. You have to teach your children about the devil just like you have to teach your children about God. Amen. Right? I mean, if I just throw a kid in, the, in a boxing ring with no training against a Golden Gloves champion, what's going to happen? He's going to get beat up. You have to train your children about the devil and how to deal with evil spirits and how to deal with this satanic worldview that permeates every part of our society. You have to teach your children diligently how to deal with that. Say amen, please. I'm almost done. Kingdom service. This is part of the education that you are responsible for for, uh, sharing with your children. Kingdom service. And, And here it is. Here it is. I mean, I love you with all my heart, but if you don't serve God... Why would your kids serve God? If I'm a Christmas and Easter Christian, what do you think my kids are going to be? Part of this education is the laws of prosperity. I'm telling you, the laws of prosperity are totally counter to anything that they're teaching in higher education. Totally counter. They, they, they want us to believe, they want the next generation to believe the only way to succeed is to have get a half million dollars in debt to the government to get an education, right? Then you can succeed. Nothing against education, but this is the real education here. That if you do without this, I don't care how much book education you have. Common sense living. We have to teach our children about common sense living. Giving your child a family-sized bag of Doritos and letting them sit on the couch for eight hours a day with an iPad is not teaching your child common sense living. That's right. A child is going to have health issues, mental issues, uh, uh, learning disorders, and you create. We created it. Well, it's quiet in here. I can hear the air conditioning coming through the vents and everything. That's, we have to teach some common sense living about health and wellness and money management and sex and life and how to live life. That's right. We're responsible. Well, I thought everything has to be all spiritual. No, you've got to teach your child how to pick up their own clothes and do their own laundry right. and how to sweep the floor. Well, I can't make them do it. I made my. I raised two daughters. I did not have this when, when my wife and I separated in 1988. There was no agreement. It was she was going this way, I was going that way. When I had those kids, I had them up. I had I, I did, was not a great hairstylist. I'll, I'll grant you that. But I had them dressed and fed and in church on time every Sunday. So help me Jesus, if I could do it in a cabin. Forty, smile pastor this is good 45 minutes one way to church you be on time if I could do it by myself we bring the sacrifice of praise into the house if I could do it you could do it you gotta mean business fearlessly loving our children through difficult times Every parent is going to face difficult times raising kids. Things don't turn out the way you wish. Things don't look the way you you want them to look. You're thinking, man, is this the way it's going to be? Well, I don't know, but I'll tell you one thing for sure. You can love that child through difficult times. And you must. Don't give up. We all all face challenges in life. Come on. That child is facing a challenge. They need your support and love, not condemnation, not rejection, not saying, well, you're, you're dumber than the rest of them. Build up that child. That's what he's talking about. Train up a child in the way that they should go. Not train down a child. Train up a child. Build up a child. I'll tell you, that's one thing. Oh, my God. If I talk about my dad, my dad made me believe I could do anything. My dad made me believe I could do anything. And it's working today. And so can you. Now, if you're older and you're thinking, eh, Brian, my kids are your age. Take these principles. Take these principles and use them. Regardless of how old they are, regardless, regardless of how, how it looks, love your children through difficult times. Right. Amen. You're going to come through it. That's faith. That's right. Are you, is this a faith church? Right. Yeah. Are we faith people? Well, yes. Yes. Oh, I thought, well, yeah, but you don't know the situation. Stop whining about the situation. Get your eyes off the situation. And remember what the Word of God says about raising your children. Did you put the Word of God in those kids when they're little? Well, they won't listen to me no more. Then apparently you tried, right? There's enough word. Brother, it don't take much. Last week at the church we visited, and I'm almost done. You can stand up. That way I'll quit. Go ahead stand up. (laughs) Last week at the church we were at... We taught on the woman with the issue of blood. She received a miracle. She had, a, for 12 years, she had some kind of female problems. She was bleeding. She went to every doctor in the area. She was nothing better, but rather grew worse. She spent everything she had on doctors, and it took 12 years. She must have been one rich lady. If it takes you 12 minutes to have them doctors empty your bank accounts, that's millions. She heard of Jesus. That's all the Bible says. When she heard of Jesus. That's all the words she heard. And that word was enough to get her healed. So you may be thinking, well, I didn't do a good job raising my kids. You did enough. There's enough word in your child to bring them home. When I was a kid... In the Church of God in Christ. I was so little my feet wouldn't touch the floor sitting in the pew. I heard uh, Elder Demings say, choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I heard him say that. And those words rung in my ears my whole life. You've got to have confidence that God knows what he's doing. That's right. You know, a lot of times we want to use faith on people. I'm believing that you're going to be in church. Stop that. Use love on people. If you've, if you've never heard about creating a culture of grace, start now. Just start loving them right now. It's going to have a rubber band effect, and they're going to say, Well, I thought you were kind of a jerk, but you're really not too mean after all. <laughs> What happened? What, what you you change, yeah? I, I might have changed a little bit. I, maybe I was a jerk, yeah. <laughs> it's a journey, right? <laughs> right? Father, in Jesus name, I bless you, Lord. I bless you. I bless your people.